Take your copy of God's Word and find 2 Peter chapter 3. On Sunday nights we are making our way through 2 Peter, only three brief chapters. We now come to the third and final chapter. So we think tonight about the scoffer's payday in verses 1 through 7. Just a few weeks ago, in fact, on uh, September 12th, Episcopal Bishop John Shelby Small passed into eternity after living a full life of 90 years. For many years, Bishop Spong was the Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Newark, New Jersey, one of the more prominent uh, liberal theologians of the last generation. I hold in my hand a document that he wrote and uh, published on December 17, 2015, entitled Charting the New Reformation, the Twelve Theses. Unlike Martin Luther, who had 95 theses, Bishop Spong had 12. And Bishop Spong was seeking to reinvent the Christian church and the Christian faith as we've known it since the days of Jesus and the apostles. I'm not going to read all of these theses to you tonight, but let me read the first few. Number one, God. Understanding God in theistic categories as a being supernatural in power, dwelling somewhere external to the world and capable of invading the world with miraculous power is no longer believable. Most God talk in liturgy and conversation has thus become meaningless. Number two, Jesus the Christ. If God can no longer be thought of in theistic terms, then conceiving of Jesus as the incarnation of the theistic deity has also become a bankrupt concept. Three, original sin, the myth of the fall. The biblical story of the perfect and finished creation from which we human beings have fallen into original sin is pre-Darwinian mythology and post-Darwinian nonsense. Four, the virgin birth understood as literal biology is impossible. Far from being a bulwark in defense of the divinity of Christ, the virgin birth actually destroys that divinity. Five, Jesus as the worker of miracles. In a post-Newtonian world, supernatural invasions of the natural order performed by God or an incarnate Jesus are simply not viable explanations of what actually happened. Six, atonement theology. Atonement theology, especially in its most bizarre substitutionary form, presents us with a God who is barbaric. A Jesus who is a victim and it turns human beings into little more than guilt-filled creatures. The phrase, Jesus died for my sins, is not just dangerous, it is absurd. Well, truly, Bishop Spong, who died just a few weeks ago, was a classic case of a false teacher who invaded the Episcopal Church and occupied a high position as a bishop for many years in the Episcopal Church, who mocked 
and ridicule the faith of the apostles, the faith of the church fathers, the faith of the reformers, and the faith of all of us who follow the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the New Testament. However, there is a day of judgment coming for Bishop Spong. And a day of judgment coming for all scoffers and skeptics who reject the supernatural character of the Word of God and who deny the reality of our great triune God who has revealed himself to us most clearly in the person of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's think tonight about the scoffer's payday. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing, and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And by these waters also, the world at that time was deluged and destroyed. And by the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of godly men. So as we think tonight about the scoffer's payday, how should we think about people like Bishop Spong and so many others? Well, Peter gives us three ways to think about the scoffers, the skeptics, uh, the theological liberals, those who reject the veracity of the Word of God and the doctrines that are set forth since the day of the time of the apostles. The first way we should think about uh, people like uh, the scoffers is found in verses 1 and 2. We should remember the truth previously spoken. Before we think about them, we should think about ourselves. And we should be certain that we have grasped in our own understanding of Scripture the truth that is revealed therein. Uh, look in verses 1 and 2 again. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Peter refers to the recipients of this letter as his dear Friends, You may have a translation that says beloved. They were dear to Peter's heart. He had deep affection for them. And he makes reference to another letter that he had written. This is his second letter. Obviously the first letter is what we know as 1 Peter. And he tells us in verse 1 why he has written these letters. Look again in the second sentence in verse 1. I have written both of them, that is what we know as 1 Peter and what we know now as 2 Peter, 
as reminders. Uh, Peter wanted to remind his listeners of these truths that were previously spoken. Now, just turn back a page to chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, and uh, look in verse 12. This whole letter that Peter writes that we know as 2 Peter is a reminder about truths in the light of the false teachers. Verse 12, he says, I will always remind you of these things. Verse 13, I think it is right to refresh your memory. Verse 15, I will make, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. So whether he uses the word remind, refresh, or able to remember, he is calling upon them to gain, to, 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 to press down in their memory bank the truths that they had previously learned. He's calling them to remembrance. Now, the fact of the matter is, uh, what was true then is true today. Truth learned must be retained. If we don't retain it, we lose it. Now, how do we retain truth once previously learned? May I suggest by repetition and by review. Now, if you are seeking to commit to memory passages of scripture, and I, I know many of you are, and I, hope, I wish all of you would be if you're not, if you're seeking to commit to memory portions of God's word, if you're gonna retain it, you must review. You go over it again and again and again until it's deeply embedded in your memory. And so by review, if you're seeking to memorize, by repetition, if you're seeking to teach and preach, I make absolutely no apology for preaching the same thing today that I was preaching 42 and a half years ago when I became your pastor. Same truths, same doctrines, same phrases. I, I just want to rivet them in your mind. And so I'm not trying to be creative every time I stand up. But I'm not trying to be creative ever. I'm just trying to say, this is what the Lord says. Try to make it clear. Now, this is the method of Jesus. If you study the gospel records, you will, you will discover that Jesus was a repetitious teacher. Because Jesus knew that we need to be hearing over and over and over again the truths that, as Peter says here in verse 1, stimulate to wholesome thinking. Look again in chapter 3, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. I've written both of them as reminders, here's that phrase, to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. In the book of Proverbs we read, as a man thinks, so is he. We are what we think. If we program our mind with truth, we will live truth. If we program our mind with error, it's highly unlikely that we will live truth. It is highly likely that we will live error. So as a man thinks, so is he. If we fill our minds with false teachings, we will find ourselves off balance in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so wholesome thinking is the key to holy living. And God's word is holy and God's word, which is holy, which is read and studied and heard over and over and over will result in holy living. Now look in verse two. I want you to recall, here's uh, another way to say, remember or remind. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets, the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So he's making a, an appeal to the things that the Old Testament prophets said. I think in this particular case, it's not just what we think of as the major prophets and the minor prophets, but the entirety of the Old Testament. And then when he says our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he's speaking specifically of the things that Jesus said and taught during the days of his three-year public ministry, which we read about in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the apostles would be men like himself and Paul and James, John, and who have given us these letters. Some of them were already been given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, some perhaps not yet given when Peter penned this uh, this letter that bears his name. But the fact of the matter is, if we're gonna, if we're gonna deal with these false teachers, these, these scoffers as he calls them here in chapter three, and, and we're gonna deal with them wisely and well, we should remember the truth that has previously been spoken to us uh, in days gone by. So intimate acquaintance with our Bible is God's means for a holy living. We neglect it as our own spiritual peril. Secondly, I want you to see with me in verses three and four, we should not be surprised by the false teachings of the scoffers. Now I just read to you some of the most extreme examples of false teaching from the uninspired pen of Bishop Shelby Small. We shouldn't be surprised about that. It was true in the first century. It's true in the 21st century. And we've been warned right here. Look in verse 3. First of all, Peter says, verse 3, you must understand that in the last day, scoffers will come. Scoffing, that's what scoffers do. They, they ridicule. They mock the the word of God, the doctrines taught therein. Scoffers will come, scoffing, following their own evil desires. When will that take place? In the last days. Now, when did we say the last days began? The last days began. We saw that in the very first sermon from Second Peter chapter 1. The last days began with the with the ascension of Jesus back to heaven. And we're now in the last days between the first and the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the last days. We're 2000 years into the last days. How many more days do we have in the last days? I don't know, we, don't, we only have minutes. The Lord Jesus may appear before we finish this worship service tonight. He may tarry another 2000 years. We don't know that. God knows, but we don't know. But we are in the last days. And in the last days, uh, Peter says, scoffers will come. And what do scoffers do? As I said, they scoff, they mock, they ridicule God's word, and they ridicule God's holy people. And notice in verse 3, the motive of the scoffers. 
following their own evil desires. Now, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are heretics in clerical garb. And when we think of spiritual warfare, we may think of that which takes place in some developed part of the world, casting out of demons, which certainly takes place there. But I want you to know that the most effective method of spiritual warfare that I believe the devil has ever come up with is to infiltrate the church of the Lord Jesus Christ with these heretical teachers and preachers and professors in our schools who seek to undermine the trustworthiness of the word of God and to seek to cause us to turn away from the faith which has once for all been delivered to the saints. This is spiritual warfare from within the church. And this spiritual warfare from these scoffers and these skeptics and these heretics is dangerous and deadly. And it has destroyed many historic denominations in the United States, in Canada, and all across Western Europe. By God's grace, God has given Southern Baptists uh, fresh theological legs to stand on due to the conservative resurgence, which began with the election of Adrian Rogers as president of our convention in 1979. And all of our schools are now doctrinally sound. But that was not the case 50 years ago. So thank God for that. So they're following their own evil desires. Verse 4, these scoffers will say, where is this coming he promised? See, Jesus promised the return. And now about 30 years have passed and they're saying, where is this coming he promised? Hold your place here in 2 Peter 3. And let's just look at three places in the New Testament uh, where we have the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look in Matthew 24, uh, verses 30 through 31. Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus speaking. And he says in verse 30, at that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. That is the word of Jesus. Let me give you another, John chapter 14, verses one, two, and three. Jesus spoke these words in the upper room discourse on the night of his betrayal and the night before his uh, crucifixion. He was speaking to the 12 and he said to them in John 14, beginning with verse one, do not let your hearts be troubled 
trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's a reference to his ascension back to heaven. Now, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Jesus said, I am coming back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus promised to return. Now, one more, Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. These are the words of the angels who spoke to the followers of Jesus as Jesus was ascending back to heaven. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, those are just three examples or three instances in the New Testament uh, that point to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to planet Earth. Actually, there are more than 300 references in the New Testament to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are only two books in all the 27 books of the New Testament who make no reference to the return of Christ. That would be Third uh, John and Philemon. All the other books make references to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus said, I will return. Now go back to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Uh, look again in verse 4. And they will say, where is this coming he promised? For ever since our fathers died, everything has gone on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, they missed that big time. The fathers here, I believe it's a reference to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And what we have here is uh, Peter's appeal to his hearers uh, not, not to be surprised by those who reject what we would call the essential doctrines of the Christian faith and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is included in that number of essential doctrines of the Christian faith. So when somebody says, where is this coming? been 2,000 years, don't believe it's coming. We shouldn't be surprised about that. Peter said it's gonna be like that. It was like that in the first century, like that today. Now, third and finally in verses five, six, and seven, we can be sure that the scoffers will be judged. We're talking about the scoffers' payday, and we can be sure that the scoffers will be judged. In verse five, we read, but they, that is, the scoffers, the skeptics, deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. In other words, the world as we know it was made by God, by the word of God. And the waters were covering the deep and God separated the land and the, and the firmament and the, and the heavens. And God spoke this world into existence. 
How long did it take God to, to make the world? Six days. Six 24-hour solar days. And the evening and the morning were the first day. God said, let there be, and there was. Now let's read on in verse 6. They forget that God created the world, and the God who created the world judged the world. They forget that. Verse 6 says, and uh, by these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. Now we won't take the time to go back in Genesis 6, 7, 8, 9, look at the the account of the, of the, of the worldwide flood in the, in the time of Noah, but it's there. And it is, it is a, an account of what took place during the days of Noah. Now Noah was a righteous man, and Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And Noah, with all of his flaws, was a preacher of righteousness. And God chose Noah and said to Noah, I want you to build an ark, a massive boat. There's a replica of Noah's ark just south of Cincinnati. And I hope to see it someday. Brother Adam announced to our Regen Choir tonight that our 2022 summer mission uh, trip is going to be to Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, Adam, I want to make sure that all the kids go to see Noah's Ark. That's part of the deal. Okay. There are skeptics that deny that, refuse to believe that. The first people to question the flood in Noah's day were not some liberal theologian in some classroom somewhere. The first people to question the flood in Noah's day were the people who were Noah's contemporaries. I mean, think about it like this. God says to Noah, build me an ark. And Noah probably says, uh, what's an ark? And God says, oh, this is what an ark is. This is how you're to build it. And he gives all the prescription, all the description about how to build it. The sizes are all there, all those cubits and all that. that we read about in Genesis. So here's, here's Noah. He's out here starting this massive shipbuilding project that's going to end up taking 120 years to build. And so one day a, a boy wanders in uh, where Noah's building the ark, and he says, uh, hey, Mr. Noah, what you doing? And Noah says, I'm building me an ark. And he says, what's an ark? And Noah tells him what an ark is. He says, why are you building it? He says, well, someday God's going to send a flood. It's going to cover the entire world. And everybody and every animal and everything and all of the earth will be destroyed in the flood because God is a holy God. And God is going to judge the wickedness of this generation. So, 30 years passes. That's a long time. Another little boy wanders in and uh, discovers Noah working on his ark and he says, uh, Mr. Noah, what are you doing? And Noah says, I'm building an ark. And he says, what is an ark? And he tells him. He says, well, why are you doing? He says, God's gonna send a, a flood to judge the world. 
And the boy's all big-eyed and excited. He goes back into that day and finds his dad, and he says, Hey, Dad, 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 you won't believe where I, where I was. So then I talked to a man named Noah, and he's building this big ark, and he said God's going to uh, judge the world with a flood someday. And his dad said, Oh, son, I had that same conversation with Noah 30 years ago. There's not going to be any flood. Just forget that. He's an old fool. 30 more years pass. It's now 60 years Noah's been building the ark. Little boy wanders in one day and finds Noah. The ark is coming up. He says, Mr. Noah, what are you building? He said, I'm building an ark. He said, what's an ark? He said, the ark, that's the, that's the ark of safety from the, from the flood that's going to deluge the whole world and destroy the whole world. I'm going to be saved, me and my family. And we need to repent or we'll all be destroyed unless we get in the ark. And the boy's all excited and he comes back and he said, he says, Dad, Dad, you won't believe. You won't believe who I met today. I, I met an old man named Noah and he's building this ark and, and he says we need to repent or God's going to destroy us. All. And the father laughs and says, oh, son, you know, when I was your age, I had that same kind of conversation with Noah. And when your grandfather was that age, he had that same kind of conversation with Noah. There's not going to be any flood. God is too good. God doesn't judge people. God is love. We'll just fast forward about 30 or 60 more years. And one generation after another, after another, ridicules and mocks and scoffs at Noah and says, you are an old fool to build this boat out here in the middle of nowhere. But the day came when God told Noah to get his family inside the ark and God closed up the door and the rains came down and the floods came up and it covered the entire world. And the scoffers were wrong. And God kept his word. And the scoffers about the return of the Lord are wrong. Just as judgment fell in Noah's day, judgment is coming someday to this world. And the next time it will be not by water, but by fire. Look in verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. There is a rendezvous with God, a rendezvous of judgment for the scoffers and the skeptics and the ungodly and the unrepentant men and women of this world. Second century theologian Melito of Sardis said, and I quote, there was a flood of water, there will be a flood of fire, and the earth will be burned up together with his mountains. That's what Peter teaches here. Martin Lloyd-Jones, perhaps the greatest preacher of the 20th century, pastor Westminster Chapel there in the shadow of Buckingham Palace in London, said of this, of this passage, and I quote, Peter's argument on the facts is this. As God destroyed the old world, so God will destroy the present world. Scoffers, 
The scoffers say this is impossible, but the scoffers of old said the same thing. Nevertheless, the facts of history stand out against them as a solemn warning. And for a man not to believe it is just to shut his eyes to history and to blind himself to that which has already happened. Let the scoffers scoff, but God keeps his word. And the wheels of God's justice grind slowly over generations, but they grind very finely. And the scoffers and the skeptics and the infidels and the unbelievers will face the judgment of God and next time by fire. Now I'd be surprised if there's anybody in this room who questions the veracity of the word of God or any of the doctrines found therein. But I want to say to you, if you are such a person, God has given you this opportunity to hear this message of truth and warning that you might repent and turn away from your scoffing and your skepticism and your unbelief and put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as he is revealed to us in the pages of Holy Scripture. And if you do, you can be saved. And if not, you will face the certain judgment of God. God, our Father, we thank you that you are sovereign over the affairs of men and nations, that you are working all things according to the counsel of your holy will, that there is a day coming, a certain day, when Christ shall return. And those of us who know him and love him, we do long for your appearing, Lord Jesus. We say with the Apostle John, come, come, Jesus. We long to see you. But for those who do not know you, a day of wrath and judgment. God, if there be some person here in this worship hour tonight who has yet to repent and believe, I pray that tonight will be the night they have a life-transforming encounter with Jesus. They will repent of their unbelief and their skepticism and make preparation to meet God. Grant them saving faith tonight, we pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. If you felt the Lord leading you to respond today, whether that was to receive Christ for the first time, or to take your next step in baptism, or if you have a prayer request, we want to start that conversation with you. Visit lakeviewbaptist.org slash contact to get in touch with one of our pastors. And as always, you can stay connected with us through our social media and website.